Hello and welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I am your host, Carl Christensen, back with Tim, the computer whisperer, Cox. It's true. I can whisper at any computer you can bring to me. <laughs> and yours is more like quiet muttering. It's not like meaningful whispering. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of <laughs> aimless, uh, <laughs> half angry. <laughs> exactly. You just picture a grandpa at a computer, like muttering quietly to himself. You've got That's to. Right. I can tell. What's this thing at work? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, so right. maybe less whispering, muttering. Anyway, whatever. Um, all right. Today we're going to be discussing the basics of programming languages. So we've done the basics of computer science before. We've done object-oriented programming. Uh, let's see, we did browsers. We've done a number of computer-related subjects, but this one is uh, a, uh, I think it's important for the layman to understand just some basics about uh, programming language, languages and how they work. If for no other reason than uh, if you need a second job or a side hustle, it turns out software is in demand. So the first topic here, I guess, is just a, a basic understanding of, of what computer languages are and what they do. And then uh, for that, I think we need to kind of picture something, I guess, that we're all more familiar with is, is like directions um, and locations. So if you're going to the, the store, you're going to a different city, you're going to be getting directions. And uh, if you are used to getting your directions these days from like Google Maps, uh, you'll you'll expect them in a particular format. You'll expect it to say, you know, keep driving on this road for three miles and then take a right turn on such and such a road, uh, you know, get in the right lane. Anyway, you'll expect a particular format of directions, right? Um, and that format is different than the format you would get if you were, for example, uh, getting directions on how to fly from one city to another city. That is a format I'm entirely unfamiliar with. Tim, you don't fly, do you? Uh, yeah, not as often as um, my publicist would like. <laughs> Significantly more than you're uh, qualified for, though. Um, the I'd imagine that pilots have a particular way of of giving directions and a particular set of instructions that they're used to getting right so directions can be different depending on the format uh, the uh the mode of transportation for example uh let's take another example and this is like cooking cooking recipes right um i'm not much of a cook tim what uh, what format do you expect when you're cooking for uh, like a recipe to be in you expect a list of ingredients and then a set of steps to follow. So presumably you use the list of ingredients to compile all the everything you're going to need and then a, a numbered series of steps that you follow in order in order to um, make the food. Right, right. And, um, and I'm guessing, once again, I've had very limited exposure with this as well, but, you know, if, if I'm cooking in Europe, right, let's say I'm in France cooking, uh, it I'd will expect taste they, <laughs> It certainly will. Well, actually, I'm not sure the cook, that where, wherever I cook has no in, influence on 
uh, it's uh, the individuals in France might make better cuisine than uh, the individuals in the neighborhood that I'm in. But um, <laughs> I'm imagining that the recipes that you see in, say, Paris are going to be in a slightly different format. If if only in right the 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 measure the unit of measure right mm-hmm. um, and so that's another scenario where you this is what we're doing is we're we're looking at ways different ways to encode information um, specific types of information and how that can vary depending on on need and location and all those types of things. Uh, one other example before we move on to how this relates directly to programming languages is a syllabus, right? Tim, you write up syllabi? Yeah, good job using that Latin plural. I use it all the time. I'm uh, trying to think of a, a joke involving Latin plurals, but it escapes me. <laughs> yes, it would. Um, <laughs> the syllabus is in is a bunch of information that you need to get to a, uh, a student and, and I guess in your case also parents, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, is there a particular format that you try to follow? Is there is there a particular suggested format from your school? How, how do you get uh, the, the syllabus written up? Yeah, I, and it, the syllabus i think there's some flexibility i suppose with most of these there there is some more than others but yeah you generally have the kind of the purposes that you want the document to meet you know so you include contact information so that you can you know uh, prepare the way for contact throughout the year um, expectations um, materials that students expected to have rules and so forth and so you have kind of these different categories and uh, each one with the crucial um, initial information that you need the student to to have and the parent right yeah so I'm, I'm and but i'm guessing that your middle school syllabus looks a little different than say your college syllabus right yeah um, surely so you know, that's another just example of, of how specific, I mean, you, the end result in, in your middle school class is pretty similar to your end result uh, in your college class, right? The uh, You're going to be giving points out for assignments and end up with a, a grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's going to be different assignments along the road that get you there, different tests and exams. But the way that you encode the information depends on the target audience to some degree. Yeah. And so... Um, that will take us then directly to programming languages. So each one of these uh, other examples is a scenario that I think the layman is more comfortable with, more familiar with, where programming languages seems to take it outside of the world of the familiar into the uh, unknown. And uh, and that can be hard to relate with unless you can take it in the, these uh, terms of, okay, well, I know what directions look like, I know what a recipe looks like, I know what a syllabus looks like. Programming language is a, a similar type, it's just an encoded direction. Uh, in this case, you're encoding the information for a computer. Um, but computers can do lots of different tasks, right? And so uh, that's why we have different, and we'll talk about different variety of programming languages and, and how they work. But uh, at a basic level, and I think a very important level, you need to understand that that's that's what it is. It's just a set of instructions. And so um, 
One of the most important things to remember as we start talking here about uh, the various types of programming languages is pro programming languages cannot be ambiguous. And that's something I guess they, the one way they uh, differentiate from these other types of encoded directions that you're familiar, more familiar with, right? A syllabus, Tim, I'd imagine that every once in a while there's a little ambiguity as to uh, what uh, what a syllabus, e even the perfectly written up syllabus, a syllabi that you do. Uh, maybe there's every once in a while a little bit of question from a student as to what exactly did you mean here, Mr. Cox? Uh, and, or, and frankly, uh, sometimes that ambiguity is intentional and even desirable. Sure. Right. It, uh, it allows you in in uh, some flexibility uh, later on in uh, <laughs> in how you are interpreting and applying that rule or expectation. And so in the syllabus, some ambiguity and um, can be quite useful. Cooking, maybe a little bit, right? A pinch of that, a touch of that. You know, maybe you want a little bit of ambiguity yeah. to, to, to um, taste, right? Uh, right, exactly. Right. Um, but uh, in driving directions, ambiguity is incredibly and frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you don't want Google Maps to be like, and uh, take a pinch of a left turn here, or, you know, take or a left turn when you get feel into like the it. wrong line to cross the U.S. border. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. I may have had an unfortunate experience with Google Maps and the U.S.-Mexico border. We'll, we'll, we'll visit that at some future um, podcast. But don't uh, worry, Google, we will still let you sponsor us. <laughs> Uh, as soon as they fix that. Until that, I'm <laughs> boycotting. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, with li like directions, computer languages, you just and, and even more more rigidly than than directions, there can be no ambiguity in computer uh, uh, programming languages. Can I um, can I give a maybe a, an example that I think might be familiar to some listeners? The if you in English class ever were asked to, um, so if you've seen the um, assignment where the teacher says, write up instructions to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then, you know, you deliver the instructions to the teacher and then the teacher follows your instructions to the letter precisely as you wrote them, usually to disastrous effect because you didn't um, properly think through the steps. And so, you know, the, the um, you say, put the peanut butter on the bread. And then the teacher just, you know, puts the jar of peanut butter on the bread. And, you know, <laughs> and so in, right. the, uh, in English class, the, the point is, you know, to emphasize clarity and precision and so forth. But you, um, this, I think, is instructive for what you're saying about um, computers are kind of like that teacher bent on, you know, ex interpreting exactly without any variation exactly what you said and if there's any ambiguity where as you're noting in a social context uh, there's so much uh, there's so much context that and so much understanding between people mm -hmm. that what is intended can easily be um, be bridged over ambigu ambiguous instructions but computers with computers there is all of that social context and understanding is stripped away. And so you, your computer acts like that teacher that refuses to do anything, but exactly what you say. Right, right. And and built into human languages is ambiguity, like essentially like, like you're saying, like put the peanut butter on the bread. Well, yeah. I can put the 
jar of peanut butter on the bread, and, and per the English language, I fulfilled one sense of that word, uh, of that of that phrase, or that that command. Uh, but not the spirit of the command. But that's the human languages have ambiguity built in, which uh, hence the need for programming languages, languages that can be written in such a way that there is no ambiguity, uh, that a particular uh, instance of a set of characters has only one meaning. It is pointing to one specific location uh, in the computer. It has one specific function. And... Um, and that's why computer programming languages are not natural language. There, parenthetically, ha have been uh, attempts to make some natural language computer programming um, work. I'm aware of it from a long time ago when I was in college that there was there were efforts going on to make natural language uh, programming a thing. Um, Sounds fun. <laughs> and to be fair, I don't know how far along the road they got. I don't know if the efforts are ongoing, but it's not – you You essentially still – to, to remove the ambiguity from human language is to make it not human language anymore. <laughs> and so you can't have a pure natural language uh, as a programming language. It's not possible. Uh, not in the actual sense of what a human language versus a, a programming language would be. So um, – Okay, but that is the idea behind programming languages. That's why they exist, uh, and that's uh, ambiguity is a, a no-no. Can't have it. Isn't a thing in a programming language, uh, because in programming languages, or at least, well, we'll, we'll discuss in a second um, the difference between uh, scripting languages and compiled languages. But the uh, in a lot of cases, code, computer code. When I finish the set of instructions, I have it. Uh, I have something. It it compiles which is just another way to essentially take to distill that information that I have coded in that programming language into a format that is um, more purely machine readable, right? Programming languages still maintain the ability for humans to be able to interact with them at a pretty high level. Um, that I can look at it, I can read it. There are words, even if they're, you know, even if they're jargon-esque, if they're uh, specific to a, a computer scientist, you know, I don't, I don't have to speak computer per se. I don't have to read ones and zeros. This isn't the matrix. Um, so there, there are words. And so we're going to take that information uh, to compile it down to um, assembly or, you know, we're, we're taking it to a more machine readable format. And that's um, and that, that compiler is the one that you, you can't have any said no ambiguity there. Everything has to be written out, um, have a specific meaning inside this language. Um, all right. So scripting versus compiled languages so this has gotten a little fuzzy as a lot of computer science has over the last you know 10 15 years um, generally the idea here is that some computer programming languages are scripting languages now we've actually discussed this i think we discussed it a little bit in our um basics of computer science so, um uh, podcast from two years ago where we talked about scripting and uh, languages. But I think that in that case, maybe it was object-oriented programming um, podcast that we did. But a scripting language is a language that uh, is not um, compiled. It is, uh, the idea is that it is, it just lives in that format. Um, and then the computer has some a way of interpreting it um, directly from, uh, you know, there's a, 
set of commands in the computer, a framework uh, that will take that and and use it and, and interpret it um, without the compilation progress uh, process that takes the information out of the uh, the actual instructions that the programmer wrote uh, to that, that intermediate step of, of you know, um, computer readable in, um, uh, file formats. This one just has, okay, it's for example, uh, for those of you familiar with JavaScript, that's generally the one more, most people have some basic familiarity with. Sometimes you see JavaScript, you'll see it in your browser occasionally. Um, usually when something breaks. Um, and JavaScript is a good example of, not always, but like I said, things have gotten a little fuzzy, but that's an example of a, um, a script language where the, well, I, as, a, as a software engineer, I, I write the code in what, the language JavaScript, okay? So I write some code. I finish up my little instructions. Uh, that's what the code is, right? And so now, if I'm you know, making a website and I'm including that JavaScript, there is no step, there, there is no compile step there. I can put that directly on a server. And once again, if you have wanted more about the servers and how that all works, go back to our other podcasts. Um, I put that on the server and that gets directly consumed by, Tim, your computer. Uh, your computer then grabs that JavaScript file and it interprets it. So on your computer in, in Chrome or whatever browser you have, it will take that JavaScript and it will work directly with that. It'll interpret it there um, at that step. So there is no intermediate step where other code um, such as uh, Java, uh, which is a, another programming language. Uh, so don't get the, there's JavaScript and Java. <laughs> Uh, Java is a compiled language, so I, the, the software engineer, write up my code. I have a, a library, I have a set of commands that I've got it to do, um, and then I compile that. So that will go through the, the, the environment that I'm on, will go through with using this, this compiler, this framework of, of rules and, and uh, to take that code that I wrote and turn it into a different format. Uh, that is um, not human readable, uh, and that that is then what you interact with uh, as uh, the user. As you know, you're not directly interacting with the code that I wrote uh, in the form that it was written. You're acting, you're interacting with it in that compiled format. So that's your exe files. Um, those are executable files. That's your compiled file format. Um, does that make sense, Tim? Well, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what an exe file is? <laughs> is exe for execute? Executable. That's an executable, executable. right? Executable, so, okay. So most of your programs that you run on your computer, including your browser, is running from some type of executable. And that is a, an executing, executing commands. Uh, um, Thus, an executable, and uh, that is a compiled piece of software. Whereas a script is just, hey Tim, I'm going to shoot you a file. It's got some code in it. You can just double click it, and you know something on your computer will do the interpretation of it, uh, so that it'll run the commands that I sent. 
but you could actually open the file and edit it because it's not compiled. Okay. If that doesn't make sense, then I need to do a better job. <laughs> this is learning from a layman, so that's the best job you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly gets me along the way, so. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see here. So that, like I said, it's kind of gotten a little fuzzier over the last 10, 15 years where scripting and compiled languages can kind of go both ways. You can actually compile JavaScript and run from that. You can sometimes take um, what are generally compiled languages and kind of use them in a more script-like way. So that's, once again, the idea that uh, as if I wrote a script file, the idea that I can just pass it off to different people, different locations, put it up on a file server, people can grab it and use it locally on their computers and have their computer directly interpret it. Um, that can be done that way, or you can actually compile. Anyway, it, it's JavaScript and, and all these other languages that we'll talk about here in a minute. I've kind of started blurring that line because there are different, <clears throat> there are different advantages and disadvantages to compiling versus scripting. Um, just very briefly, the idea that a compiled program has already gotten it down a level, right? It's already interpreted some of that code <clears throat> and put it in a format that is more quickly accessible by the, uh, there is no interpretation needed, <clears throat> no compile step necessary in order to execute the program. So that's going to be a, a little quicker versus a scripting language where uh, obviously you're working directly from what is more or less human readable code. And so you need, there's, a, there's another process involved in order to get it to a format that can be executed directly on your computer. Okay. I'm, but that, the enthusiasm with which you said, okay, makes me <laughs> question everything that I've said for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> No, it's it is. Uh, I'll be honest. For a um, we'll say an, an outsider with limited uh, background, it's a lot to wrap your head around. But um, we're getting there. Let, let's forge ahead, and okay. um, you know, pe people in my boat, if uh, if we need to give it a second listen to kind of suction in the rest, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well. Hopefully it becomes slightly more clear as we move along here, and right, yeah, maybe you can go back and, and re-listen, and maybe it makes sense, more sense the second time. Um, there's a possibility it makes less sense the second yeah. time. That's true. The Alice in Wonderland effect. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. All right. So uh, I, I, you know, I, I want to before I move on to the next thing, I do compilation. The word compiling and co compilation that is also kind of. That's something we're, we're familiar with a little bit in the in the layman sense of I can compile documents. It means like, oh, I take something from here and here and I put them together. Um, and that is kind of what we mean in in the, the programming language sense. But it's also a little different th than that. Um, I think another way to look at it is essentially we're, we're doing a massive find and replace. Uh, we're taking um, this big chunk of code and we're saying, oh, this has this element in it, which can be replaced with these encoded uh, bit. Th this smaller piece of uh, information can represent that. And uh, oh, this right here, well, we can just point that to this other piece of information. Um, and so it's it's taking all uh, 
all of that and just finding and replacing everything to the point that uh, the computer is being able to recognize it uh, as as more computer specific um, instructions where it's uh, where you know it's um, specific sets of characters pointers at particular memory addresses um, you know that type of thing uh, as opposed to these chunks of of code that I've written up um, if that makes anything slightly clearer if you can just yeah, picture that, it as uh, finding replacing that that comparison does help okay something okay. I'm familiar with hmm. okay perfect yes you can imagine just a whole load of finding replacing uh, to make it less and less well I mean it's compiling it down and making it smaller and smaller and smaller so anything you can do to replace bigger stuff with smaller stuff that is um, uh, it makes the process more efficient is that kind right, of exactly yep okay and, and uh, very specifically tied to a particular framework or computer and so that's another step in this compilation and then I'll move us on to kind of another topic is the um, scripting can be done across different operating systems right the idea that I'm on a Windows machine here but I'm writing code that will be used on Android right on your phone or your iPhone or your iOS and if my computer compile so it does a bunch of find and replaces to make sure it specifically works for my computer and then i say okay go run that on an, an ios you know on an iphone well the ios will look at that and say no idea what that means that's a completely that's not encoded for me um and so that's an issue with a, a compiled program is that all of a sudden you can get it in a format that was specifically telling the computer that I, you were running on or the framework that you're building on, which in one low sense is, is just the operating system. Oh, this is how you run it. That's what the, you're finding replacing. So is that why when that you're stuff. on a certain kind of device, a certain like apps or, or sites, you just can't access them or... Right, or right. they have problems. Right. Yeah. If you're if you're looking for an app, for example, and you're really frustrated because it's on your iPhone, but your brother has an Android, and you're like, well, why doesn't yours have the same app? Well, I mean, there could be a whole host of other reasons as as far as like you know uh, how much they're charging for the mar the app the uh, marketplace. Anyway, but um, but one of the very fundamental reasons is if the uh, the app was written in a language that was compiled for iOS, then they would have to do some significant work or porting. Porting is essentially the changing of a computer program from one language into another. Um, so translation also, I guess. Uh, the, that work in order to make it work, uh, make their program run on a different type of framework a different operating system which is going to interpret those commands those commands are just different the underlying commands for uh you know appoint this piece of memory at this piece of memory or when you see this do this uh the, all those other you know, when we've already done the find and replace specific to a particular computer that's that computer gets to find and replace and say oh this is what it means here and this is what it means here then now when i pass that off to a different computer it's reading gibberish um 
And so that's uh, an important differential between com compilation and scripted, and scripted files uh, don't suffer from that, right? Because I'm handing you a, a piece of information that has not yet been interpreted. It's just coded for that language. And so I can pass it off from an, uh, a Windows machine to a iOS computer and or we're good because that's all the information is there and not specific to a particular operating system or not particular particular framework. Um, and that's where I guess the next step is the is a framework. Um, and I don't want to get too, this is kind of moving away from what the layman even necessarily needs to know. An operating system is one thing that we can mean when we talk about frameworks, um, something that you may have heard about. So Microsoft, uh, aside from Windows, has their own framework of code. Um, and you, I guess a good picture for this is um, imagine a, an expansive library, right? Go to your your the biggest, you know, the Library of Congress or something like that. And we're talking hundreds and thousands and potentially a million books, right? Just so much information. And so if you're there to write a book report or, or to compile a, a report on a particular historical individual, say Abraham Lincoln, are you going to have a whole host of information available to you? Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> however, if you go to your local uh, community library, the amount of information available to you about Abraham Lincoln, well, probably sufficient. Well, maybe you'll have to do a little bit uh, more, uh, you know, digging and orbs. You know, you're not you're just not going to have the same th tools at your fingertips. Um, and that's the idea of a, a programming language framework is that a lot of these uh, uh, coding, and I think I've said this in other podcasts in the past these days, is a lot of um, uh, not not as much uh, invention these days. So obviously, still are, there still is. It's a lot more innovation. The idea that uh, I'm taking a lot of existing code and I'm using it in new and innovative ways. I'm combining it in new and innovative innovative ways, because obviously, as you can imagine, over the last 30 years of of I guess at this point more 40 years of um, programmers out there they've written a lot of very useful things and these vast extensive programming language libraries exist where instead of having to write up a original paper on Abraham Lincoln <laughs> I can now just say okay well I want some of uh, what that report says about Abraham Lincoln and what a few of those ones say and I'll just put them together and then I'll add a couple tidbits about um, the city that I live in uh, which Abraham Lincoln happened to visit once, and nobody's really talked much about much about that, right? Mm. So all of a sudden you've got a innovative report, not an inventive report, right? I guess history reports probably shouldn't generally be inventive. <laughs> well, it depends on your purpose. Uh, you really want to. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you're not inventing a history. Um, <laughs> more, it's more common than we might care to admit. <laughs> that's true and unfortunate. Uh, yes. Okay. So that's the case with code as well. And that's what a coding library is, is uh, the idea that inside this programming language that I'm using, I have a vast uh, res uh, network of resources. And so if I need to do a specific task, instead of having to write it myself, I can just say, hey, you have a... Um, does this framework have this specific command? Oh, it does. I can use that. Um, but 
these networks, these uh, fr sorry frameworks are often specific to a particular, once again, type of computer, right? Um, Android, iPhone, uh, Mac, Windows, Linux, all these different types of operating systems. And so uh, if I want to use a particular command, a particular library, it has to be accessible on that computer. And does, does that library work on that type of uh, operating system? Well, maybe and maybe not. It depends, right? And so that's something that programming languages are, are kind of built inside that that milieu is uh, bless me, by the way. Did Sorry. you just say milieu? I did. Good job. <laughs> that's 10 points to Gryffindor. I'm not Gryffindor. If I'm going to be something, I'd certainly be Hufflepuff. <laughs> Respect. Hufflepuff, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it doesn't play well in front of Hollywood, but everyone wants a Hufflepuff around. Yeah, I mean, Hufflepuff is so maligned and, and misunderstood. Yeah. We should do a podcast on Hufflepuff. <laughs> um, they live in a milieu of... Um, <laughs> uh, darn it, I, I'm sorry, I got nothing. <laughs> I ran out just digging in, out that French. <laughs> uh, yes, anyway, so... Um, Programming language is kind of inside this environment of of network of networks of libraries frameworks uh, that are built on top of these operating systems. So you kind of have these these um, you know these stacking stones that you're built building on, and if you pull one of these out, everything breaks. And so that's um, can I start like tracking the all the metaphors that you use. To <laughs> I think that would be a fun little, you know, ping, a new metaphor. <laughs> yeah, that's probably I mean, why. I, they actually really help a lot. So. <laughs> well, good. That's good. I'm glad uh, because I don't I don't know anymore if any of this makes sense. I've been in this world for so long that, you know, sometimes if you've been in for a particular mindset for so long, it just you can't connect. And that's the that's the danger. That's why learn it from a layman was supposed to be learning it from someone that didn't know much about it. Yeah, really, I should be explaining this to you. Yeah, you should yeah. be. Well, this is your <laughs> so, job. Tim. So, Carl, the computers use electricity and there's <laughs> little zaps that go this way. And <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. What? Perfect. Little zaps. I think that's All perfect. Right, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so uh, we've talked a little bit now. So now the layman is, is probably wondering, OK, well, you're telling me about all these frameworks and operating systems and why this program lang programming language can't go on that operating system. But why? Why do we have all of these in that case? Why don't we just have one operating system that can have host one framework, which can host one programming language, and we're all good? And then we don't have to well, deal wait. with all this junk. Is this where I introduce conspiracy theories? Please do. This Yes, this is... A <laughs> All right, this is so the man can milk us by That's making right. us jump into different, yeah, operating systems. And because the world is flat, Tim. Very, yes. Very simply. That's right. Um, no, the the reality of it, I mean, part of it is kind of the, the f a fragmented way that the, that the um, market has, has come together over the, you know, the course of 20, 30 years of, of just trying to figure out you know how to how to do this um 
but part of it is is not necessarily uh, the the fragmentation or or lack of of uh, communication. It's really the uh, different different needs, and and that's why we started off with the idea that you know directions are different for a someone uh, that drives a car versus someone that flies an airplane. Directions are um, cooking is different. You know, if you gave me a recipe, you're gonna be darn well better spell out every single thing you need right um whereas uh, a you know a sous chef is going to be need very different type of directions on how to cook something um and so and more yeah. french <laughs> uh right um mon chien et fromage <laughs> i would take a cheese dog <laughs> Ooh, that's like a, a baseball game, you know. You get like a chili dog with cheese. Uh, <laughs> yeah, must be uh, hungry. Yes, Sorry. Okay. Notice we're, um, we're we are doing a lot of like food comparisons here. You know, French French cooking, peanut butter and jelly, uh, cheese dogs. Oh my! It's funny because we keep on, I keep on almost losing literally where I am and what I'm talking about. Like for a second there, I wasn't even I couldn't remember whether or not we were talking about France as for the podcast or or what. But that means I, I'm doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> Programming languages and why they did the different variety exists is because oh, yeah. in a lot of cases we're doing different things. So explain um, those different things. Like what do you mean? Well, so let me take a very basic one and, and this is kind of revisiting some of the things that we've talked about in the podcast in the past but the idea of a windows operating system a ios that's a mac operating system and a linux operating system the layman has probably no familiarity with linux but that is also why linux is linux is uh, as a computer scientist or at least as a you know um web uh designer or, or you know i don't need a lot of the stuff that the layman needs on their computer i'm not running word processing i'm not you know necessarily surfing the net i'm not but i do need a, a different set of tools on it i need the ones that will help me execute my job as quickly as possible and be very friendly to uh you know, the, all the, the permissions that I need to set up and the way I need to host the files and, and all that type of stuff. Um, and so I don't want the same stuff. <laughs> I don't want your your basic how to drive to uh, San Diego directions. I'm in, uh, you know, I'm in Paris and I'm going to fly and your little directions on how to drive there are meaningless. I need a specific set of directions that will help me in my job. And so that's the um, uh, that's the idea behind these different operating systems is we're doing different things. And an iOS, it's very much like a Tim muttering uh, person <laughs> needs very specific help and process to get through their computer. I don't want a lot of control. I just want to be able to do the jobs I need done, and I don't need to worry about that. I want to worry about the rest of it. Um, Windows kinds of kind of straddles that, which is kind of its strength and its weakness. Is it sometimes it wants to play the the more pro, uh, programming language friendly, software engineer friendly side of things. Sometimes it wants to play the more user and uh, user side of things, um, and 
but that's just one example of how we use different tools in the computer for, for different groups of individuals. And then you can imagine applying that across all these different variety of tasks that we put computers to. Um, I don't, you know, if I'm doing just a bunch of, of calculus problems on the computer, I don't need um, I, I don't want uh, a bunch of uh, of framework code that can do um, that write music. Like, what? How is that useful to me? All I need is a bunch of math operations. So um, that's why there are different languages, and we'll talk about a few of those here in a second. We're gonna move to that pretty soon here. Um, but does that make sense, Tim? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> Okay. It, you would say, would you say that it's still true that the the um, diffuse nature of a free market also is a factor in in why there's all this difference? Um, I, certainly, there's no question that that plays some role in it because there are com uh, essentially directly competing frameworks and, and computer uh, and and languages that that essentially fill the same niche, and mm. uh, and so in that case. You know, yeah, they're the same, and and then it's just uh, it's just you know the market, um, you know people trying to uh, one up each other, and that and as an end user we generally generally benefit, but not always. <laughs> we try to look on the positive side here, as far as saying there are there are good reasons where different variety of languages exist, and then there are somewhat sometimes frustrating uh, realities that uh, come as a result of that. All right, but let's talk about a few of these uh, languages. And I guess the layman, the reason that I'm going to list this is mostly just so that if you're looking to use a language um, or become familiar with a particular programming language, you can know which one to become familiar with and why you might want to do that if you want to, for example, want to get a job or um, just uh, open up your prospects. So this is the... Uh, ranking of uh, pro the po the pro popularity, I guess, of um, programming languages. Um, I've got two lists here. I actually have three lists. <laughs> there, as there are in all things, there are different ways to rank this. But I'm just going to go through uh, a few of these and kind of uh, let you know what they are and why they might be useful. So one of these rankings has uh, the language Python as the first uh, most popular language. Python is a, I actually don't know when it started, its uh, popularity has certainly spiked in the last 10 years or so, I'd say. Um, it is a language that can be used in a lot of different contexts. Um, I think at first it was a scripting language. It's now something that you can compile as well. Like I said, these they, the lines blur, um, but it can be used web, it can be used... Uh, as a fun foundation for you know an executable, which is like the programs that you're running, like your word processor or whatever it might be, your browser. Um, so Python is a, I, I think a, a good solid language to, to you know become. If, if you're just learning, that's a good one to try to pick up. It's not uh, it's not too esoteric. It's always seemed ironic to me that the word esoteric is esoteric. That's its its downfall right there. <laughs> uh, right. So it's not too like specialized and and you know niche that it's um, it, it's something that I think the layman can can start grasping uh, pretty pretty quickly. Uh, the second one on this list of popularity is Java. Um, this one has been around for a long time. Java is still used in a lot of 
a lot of major enterprise applications. This is a compiled language. This is um, some some except some bordering the line, but a compiled language, and it is a foundation. So when I took my 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 first CS computer science class in college, they taught us Java, and so. Uh, this is a good solid one that a lot of resources out there um, a lot of a lot of job opportunities for java as well uh, and that one's once again just um, as a compiled language but it's all you know pretty pretty ubiquitous uh, javascript is number three javascript um, we've already discussed here this is a, a generally as the name would imply a scripting language uh, which means generally job uh, scripting languages for, for whatever reason kind of have more layman appeal because you don't have to understand the, the framework behind it as much you don't have to get a whole uh, program compiling it's just uh, you can write a single file and and it can run that you don't have to worry about anything else um, so that if you just want to dabble javascript can be good and javascript be because of of its just uh, well, I guess it's web uh, friendliness has become one of the most um, you know there are so many different flavors of, of JavaScript, which means there are lots of different frameworks that use it in different ways, and so it's very powerful in that way. And I, I recommend becoming some. And if you want to do any web work, you need to be familiar with JavaScript. Number four is yeah, sharp. to me. Oh. oh. Sure. I was going to say, explain to me JavaScript and Java. Like, what? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think the, the names, I, I don't know what the exact history of, of, you know, how that happened, but I think the names probably uh, tell a pretty good story. JavaScript, meaning, oh, I want a script language. I just want the file that can be delivered to different uh, operating systems and, and we can handle it on those systems as opposed to java which is doing that compilation so if i want something lightweight quick a single file or just a small group of files then i just want to be able to deliver that and uh, have the you know the client whoever grabs that off of the browser work with it that's javascript and i'm guessing that's why it was developed to begin with is java is this whole framework like the, what i was talking about this whole huge library of oh you want to be able to uh patch you know anything you can imagine java is going to be able to give it to you it's been around for so long um and so that's you don't want all that overhead you don't want all that the compilation nightmare you just want here's a file and that's what the java script is Does that make sense yeah I think. yeah i think so okay so then the last one uh, well, I, I guess I'll talk about one or two other ones, but uh, this is my pet one because this is the language I've used pretty much for my whole career, and that's C Sharp. Um, that's, this is one of those scenarios where Java and C Sharp are the same niche. They do the same thing. Um, I'm sure there's someone out there that's yelling, no, that's not true, but they pretty much do the same thing. And um, I guess Java historically has been more... Uh, operating system agnostic you've been able to use that in ios you know or whatever where c sharp historically was very it was a windows microsoft developed language and so as you can imagine specifically to uh, available and uh, used on windows um, 
that's no longer the case. Uh, Microsoft's working to make that more friendly to everyone, um, and they've been working on that now for like a decade. Um, but uh, but that's one I've used for my whole life, um, and that is um, well, on my whole life. C sharp is younger than than me, but. Uh, <laughs> It is uh, one that you can have a lot of, there are a lot of jobs out there that use C-sharp. Um, so if, uh, yeah, anyway, I uh, really I curious about the name for for that one too. Do you know anything about why these are, well, all of them, Python, C-sharp, Java. I don't, yeah. So Java, I'm guessing has something to do with, um, with just coffee and computer software engineers working late into the nights uh drinking coffee and therefore java is that's my guess i don't i don't know maybe i did at one point but i don't remember uh c sharp i think is just a, a riff on um an, another older programming language or languages and that's the c class of, of programming languages that's c and c plus uh, plus those c has been around since i don't know maybe the 70s maybe late early 80s and uh, that was a very early programming language that had uh, and these early programming languages you just don't have as many as much framework in there so you have to do a lot of these computer specific operations yourself like if i want to use memory in a particular way and see i need to say that i need to say and this uh, code will use this much memory and when i'm done i will i will get rid of this memory that's no longer the case in something like c sharp and in java um, they, they, that memory stuff is essentially done under the hood, um, just like computers nowadays, or, um, just like cars nowadays. You don't have to worry about the same things that you did 50 years ago. That's the way with uh, software as well. And so C sharp, I think, is a riff on the idea that we went from C to C plus plus to C sharp. Okay, um, cool. That's my guess. Is it you know kind of iterative? Um, all right, then let's talk. Oh, the, one or two other ones. So R. I think it's come up when we had our basics of data science with Mike Vodomsky, Dr. Vodomsky. Um, that's a very statistics heavy, math heavy language. Um, very useful in data science and um, you know your math, heavy math fields um, or statistics fields. So that's that's a good example of why you have a different language for a specific tool set. Um, it can do a little bit more than that, but that, that's essentially what it's used for. Um, and that's on the list here is number seven. And uh, so if you want, if you have a background in statistics and you've never learned R, I uh, imagine that that would open your job prospects significantly. Um, let's hit one or two others. So we've got um, any query language. So there's something called SQL. Um, that's, uh, uh, there's a bunch of different query langu languages. And query languages are ways to essentially uh, write um, a command to grab information um, from uh, a database. So in the case of SQL, uh, that is a structured query language that essentially is a way to say, okay, I know that there's data in all this in this database just holds all this information, right? And I, I want to be able to grab it in a particular way. So I want to say, okay, uh, grab this piece of information and add this piece of information, but don't include this piece of information and show it to me. And that's your query language. 
So your st structured query language, there are other query languages that essentially just grab data from a particular database and, and give it to you. Um, so we're not that that's a kind of a prerequisite for a lot of a lot of computer science. One other thing, last thing to touch on in this case is um, markup languages. So your layman out there is familiar probably with uh, HTML. That's hypertext mm -hmm. markup. Yeah, hypertext markup language. There's something called XML, which you may have heard of before, which is just extensible markup language, which just extensible as in extension, as in I want other stuff. Uh, so a markup language, if you look at your view, your page source and go back to our browsers podcast and listen to that, you can view your page source and you can see your markup language for your website. And it's going to look like just uh, someone barfed on your screen, but it's going to be a bunch of tags, these angle brackets around structured pieces of information. And in between those are um, you know, your your text, your image, you know, reference links to particular information that they want to pull. Um, and so that's your markup language is a way to structure the text in a particular way uh, and, and mark it up. So hypertext, um, so idea of hyperlinks and that type of things, bringing that to bear in a, in a website and a web page. That's where HTML is, uh, what it is, and that's HTTP which is the protocol, which is how we transfer that information, that, that media across the, the web. Um, and then XML is the idea of, well, HTML has particular tags defined, but I want all this other for a structure and it doesn't exist. Well, then I'm gonna uh, make my own rules. And the, there's a, a rule, there are rules to make rules. So we won't dive into that too much, but XML is a, a very powerful way to structure form uh, data in a particular format so that it's, uh, machine uh, better machine readable and very unambiguous i guess um all right any questions tim would you recommend for the let's say uh, the average layman or laywoman the uh, you know the uh, schools are trying to kind of tilt the the um the heavily male dominated nature of of like you know the tech sector to grow so sure. anyway um but um what uh what would you recommend for if someone just wants to start like I, i've seen I, and even fiddled around a bit with code.org um mm -hmm. which i think teaches html um you know would that be a good place for let's say a, a kid or or say an an adult out there who just wants to kind of try it out um, maybe not ready to drop a bunch of money to take a college course on it or or something like that. Um, but, you know, where would be a good place to start? So I think Khan, is it the Khan Academy probably has a oh, yeah. good, um, I, I've seen it before. I'm trying to remember if it was on Khan where I saw it. There are good like structured ways that will start you very basic. You want your drag and drop coding where you, where you just kind of get to see it, but you don't have to write it at first. Um, and I think I think Khan has that there. Uh, it's been a while since I've learned, so there might be newer tools out there that will, will uh, teach you um, programming. Um, I one of the things I guess for the layman, sometimes you, you get this these these weekend schemes if I'm going to learn how to code over the weekend and uh, and then it just blows up because it's like, well, it turns out that's significantly harder than what two days will afford. Um, but 
I think one of the ways to try to get a specific thing that you want to accomplish and then dig in from there. And so, you know, because a lot of people don't let, you know, if, if I've graduated school, I don't want to go back to school. I want to accomplish something. And so I'm and if that task is sufficiently motivating to you, then you can use that as the impetus to get the skills that you need in the language. And so a, a way to get, get some people there is something there's a, a, a website called Leet Code. Leet Code is like a lot of kind of either coding puzzles or, or um riddles those types of things um, where you need to be able to code something up it's not really a starting point as far as it doesn't teach you how to code but it gives you kind of motivation to code is like oh how can i solve this problem and then you can figure out okay well what code what do i need to solve this problem and i don't know that, that would be one way of taking it but yeah and it, it, uh, just going off of that from what i understand a lot of writing code is is um, I know people who teach writing code they, don't they look at it from the perspective of we're solving problems here we are we're using logic to um, you know yep. Yep. to problem solve right exactly so okay. I, I and that's kind of I, uh, the final takeaway here is programming languages once again take ambiguity out this isn't um, it's very much a different mindset than the humanities type of uh, approach to language and so it's a very mathematical approach to language uh, but I think it's useful even if it isn't your cup of tea is to just kind of understand what it's used for and uh, how it impacts your day-to-day -day, which hopefully we've made some uh, useful uh, relationships tied some really useful relationships for you and I'm glad you brought up the humanities because that leads us into our um, our learn it from a layman next sponsored uh, listener contest which is the uh, the coding poetry contest. <laughs> so um, you're all, everyone is is eligible. You can just send us your um, your poem written in either Python or C sharp or uh, JavaScript. It, well, any coding language, and and um, you know we'll select a winner and send you a pie. No, we won't. Maybe. <laughs> all right. Well. Uh, that brings us to the end of this and uh, another teaser. Well, I should have done this earlier in the podcast, but we've got the next episode is episode number 100, which is a big deal to a few people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Important people. Exactly. And Tim will be leading that on some yet to be determined topic, but it will be awesome. So tell your yeah. friends and uh, let's spread the word. And go ahead and listen to all 99. You got to binge all of them before you listen to 100. Clearly. Yeah, the big lead in. <laughs> it's kind of like when you go back and watch the director's cut of all the Lord of the Rings. You know, kind of like not, that. Not really, but more like um, when you read all the toddlers writing before they get to first grade. <laughs> That's right. It, yeah, heartwarming. Exactly. You know, kind of cute, adorable. Oh, yeah, exactly. Look exactly. how much progress they've made. <laughs> All right. Anyway, well, thanks, Tim, and uh, everyone's listened, and we'll be back again soon for the 100th episode. Adios. Adios.